Hey everybody, welcome to back to Jeremy Takes on HIT. We're going to do a little bit different uh, podcast today. It's going to be a, uh, a review of an article called Death by a Thousand Clicks. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll kind of get started and see what that's all about. It's obviously going to be critical about HIT, so there's going to be probably an inherent bias in me to be a little bit defensive, but uh, this is put out by Kaiser Health News, which is funded by Kaiser, which is both a provider and a payer in uh, the West Coast, California area. So uh, you may want to kind of set your thought processes about uh, what their point of view is. And then Fortune is obviously a a big uh, business medium out there and I didn't necessarily see any kind of huge conflict there, but that's just kind of to let you know who they are. And and the last thing I'll say before we kind of get started with all this is if you do pull up the article or if you see it somewhere, kind of the, uh, the thumbnail that gets attached to the article is there's a mouse in it, which Death by a Thousand Clicks kind of... Interesting that they put a mouse in there in the age of laptops, although I'm sure there's lots of actual mice that are still used in healthcare since, you know, we still have something, you know, called the fax machine. But they, the mouse that they included is very interesting. It is um, a mouse that I remember from growing up. Uh, it's one of those older Microsoft mice um, and definitely think that they went and drug it out of um, being attached to some gateway brand computer. And so if you're too young to even know what gateway computers are, or if you've never actually worked on a 486 or an operating system older than Microsoft 95, there you go. So, enough said. All right, so um, let's kind of kick this off here in just a second and dive into the article itself. So how this is actually going to, to work is that I'm, I've kind of read through the article, I pulled out some things that, that struck me, and just kind of discussed that. I, I may kind of go off in a tangent. I hope that I'll, I'll try to stick to what you feel like is relevant material, but um, really this is kind of a furtherance of a very common theme it's almost made it into a meme if it's possible within healthcare IT that's big enough now that we can actually have memes come out of this uh, ecosystem but uh, you know the the EHR causing burnout and really being this uh, underlying cause of a tremendous amount of bad outcomes within healthcare is really gaining steam uh, from this point, and I think this article goes a, a good ways into trying to lay, uh, create the case uh, for that. Uh, and so I think it's worthwhile, while certainly not trying to defend all EHRs, or I, I think it's more of a defense of EHR as a concept or as a tool, but certainly there are actors out there in the space or in the market that are not have the same quality at as uh, as the rest. So, and, and it's interesting, although I think it's probably not an accident that the first EHR that the article talks about is eClinical Works. Now, ECW, eClinical Works, uh, 
if you are a follower of the industry, you'll know that last year or two years ago, probably I think by now two years ago, they were hit with a really big fine for basically faking meaningful use attestation. They they probably did not do any you know anything to some extent as other EHRs as far as coding directly to what meaningful use had you do and not necessarily trying to just meet the spirit of, of meaningful use but bear, but meet the actual uh, requirements. And so ECW did that but is very clunky, did it with a lot of hacks and ultimately really didn't um, didn't produce uh, what was legitimate, and so they were fined over that. So anybody that's been in the industry again for any point in time, and, and so let's kind of make a statement too. ECW predominantly works in the ambulatory market, and what does that mean? Doctor's offices. So if, um, and, and what was ECW? They were the bargain basement discount uh, EHR that would allow a small practice to adopt an EHR very quickly to be able to get the meaningful use money that was out there. It wasn't a very good system, but it was an EHR and it was certified. So if you were a, a practice, you could use ECW, a test for meaningful use, and get the incentives or avoid the disincentive that was out there from CMS. So the, the article goes through and talks about basically a, um, a lab test that did not get transmitted over an interface and ultimately a patient died from a misdiagnosis. Well, I mean, and so what, what does that mean? Well, it means that there is a failure in the connectivity between the ECW system and the lab system where the patient had to go and get the lab test done and you missed a diagnosis. Is this an indictment on the entire ECW system? No. It was a configuration issue. It was a testing issue. Ultimately, it was a buyer's issue, an administration issue. So the, that the, the, what this comes down to and what you're going to hear uh, a lot on the EHR side say is that the configurability and the uniqueness of that is required in, a, in each EHR implementation is both a requirement and a, and a possibility for a bug. And because we have a structure now where healthcare IT resources are so uh, are, are in such demand that practices typically are the lowest end uh, of the of the food chain is not correct, but the lowest end of the hierarchy, they're not going to have the money to spend on people that are really good and can track and keep keep. Uh, Make sure that your that your EHR and specifically your your interoperability and your connectivity are are where it's supposed to be. So anyway, uh, you know it goes in the article goes into talking about how uh, 
the industry was relatively small, you know, from a market cap standpoint, probably so meaningful use, you know, more than tripled it from, from a size standpoint. I think that that's probably true. You also have a lot of things happening at the same time. You have the digitization of radiology. So you have the, the large um, portion during this time of people getting off of um, radiology films going on to a PAC system, which is a, a computerized radiology system. You have a lot of digitization on the pathology side. You, you know, there's a lot of converging things happening in 2009 when you have meaningful use. Yes, you have a lot of hospitals and practices going on to EHR, but there was a move in that direction already. And, and so don't think of the healthcare provider industry as so technology um, divisive or, or, or kind of uh, a fighting of the progression of, of technology in there in space. Really what you had is the Obama administration seeing an opportunity where they could put money into the system and kind of provide that Malcolm Gladwell tipping point moment and probably just push things along faster to where it was already naturally progressing. You know, and the article kind of talks about that for a little while, and then you get down into uh, physicians now complain about, you know, systems that are hard to use, the number of hours that they spend clicking or typing or trying to move around. You know, there's there's somebody uh, tweeted the other day talking about how, you know, physicians can, can pick up a phone and use thousands of apps that are written in, in an intuitive or self-discoverative way uh, to where you don't need a lot of training, but you get into this EHR environment and all of a sudden they're, uh, you know, four-year-olds uh, or the beginning of 2001 A Space Odyssey dancing around uh, this monolith. And, and what we don't have is enough of a kind of a postmortem, for lack of a better word, whenever we have these outcomes to, to understand how much is the system and how much is the process. And so one of the things that the article talked about is you have kind of a gag, uh, gag rule around, you know, when there's issues with an EHR, <coughs> excuse me, that an EHR will, you know, have a provider sign a non-disclosure agreement whenever they fix a big uh, big problem. But let's just be real clear. The health system itself is not wanting to run around and talk about how the system that they use is causing problems because what they don't want is then to turn around and have a bunch of civil litigation against themselves trying to figure out, you know, when did they know when did they know that they were using a flawed system for tracking and maintaining and recording the legal medical record that they're using. So let's just kind of be real clear and, and set the table that these organizations are not, um, you know, total victims in, in this situation either. So uh, what you have are some physicians that want to go out there and complain about, you know, certain aspects 
of the system. And what you have to understand is each individual physician may or may not, I'm probably going to say if you just take one blindly out of a bucket, probably not going to understand when they have a call out of a bug in the system, whether it's by configuration, whether it's by a bug within the code, or whether there's a policy or a workflow that's causing this, which could go back to configuration. So there's there's really needs to be somebody with much more of a technological background and understanding of the individual EHR that they're using to serve as an interpreter of what the individual incident goes on. So, I mean, you know, we have the, the physician, and here's a quote from the article that I think is, is pretty interesting. It says, in America, we have 11 minutes to see a patient, and you know you're going to be empathetic, make eye contact, and enter about 100 piece of, pieces of data and never commit malpractice. It's impossible. I agree. It is impossible. But here's the thing. The EHR didn't create the billing structure to where you only had 11 minutes to see a patient. The EHR didn't create the process of all the data that you have to capture. That's quality measures. That's, you know, your actual practicing of medicine. The EHR is not determining how much or how little data that you need to capture, what your actual workflow process is, who you as a physician have in the room with you or don't when you're having a visit with a patient. So there is a concept to lay this all onto the shoulders of EHR as if Epic, Athena Health, ECW, whomever are the ones determining that you, this is the this is the operation that you have to that you have to live with. My my favorite part of this article is where you have the quote from the article that says the multi-million dollar system manufactured by Epic Systems Course considered by some to be the Cadillac of medical software. Who's saying that? Who's saying that Epic is the best system out there is has the largest market share it's one of the most famous systems out there but that still doesn't work because if you look at the analogy that doesn't make any sense a actual an actual Cadillac is a very small part of the market share because it's so expensive it's very high quality so it's very it's a very small part of the actual market share the the correct uh, use of the of the analogy would probably be considered by some to be the Toyota of medical software. That's a very widely purchased car. That has a very large market share. The Toyota Camry. Well, it did. I don't know what's the highest selling car at this point in time. So that you know, I would think that would probably be more appropriate from a feature, function, capability. You know, when you buy a Toyota Camry. You know what you're going to get. When you buy Epic, you know what you're going to get. And so, you know, when you have a problem with a system, what I what I'm trying the larger point that I'm trying to make is you're not offloading 
all of your decision making and all of your system administration process. And I think that's one of the biggest trends and failures of healthcare uh, organizations, the actual provider of healthcare. They have bought in to a, a misconception that has been propagated by EHRs. I will totally uh, agree with these authors here that EHRs have created an environment where healthcare IT professionals within a healthcare organization have taken away, have had their responsibility taken away from them. And why do you say they've taken away their responsibility? I'll tell you why. Because you've taken them out of the power structure. The conversations that I've had with IT professionals within healthcare organizations over the last five years, and I'd even go farther, maybe even the last eight years, has gone down every single year. There are some strong personalities and leaders within healthcare IT that are attached to the healthcare organization. But if you look at the big people out there in healthcare IT today, and you think about the trendsetters and the quote-unquote awful phrase thought leaders out there, those people do virtually no traditional CIO work anymore. They're chief transformation officers, they're chief innovation officers, they're much more attached to what, what I would call a venture capital arm of a large hospital that's out there trying to create outsource innovation or outsource what you would see coming out of hospitals. I mean, let's just pause right here for one second at the 16-minute mark in this podcast and make a very clear statement to tell you where we came from and where we are today. The, the coding system, the, the, the programming language that Epic is built on today was created in the late 60s and early 70s by programmers at Mass Gen Hospital in Boston. Think about that for just a second. The code that's run on the most popular system today created by HIT that's maintained and and propagated throughout the marketplace was created at a hospital. There's no innovation like that coming out today. There's no ownership. There's no there's no uh, investment in healthcare IT in internal in internal uh, uh, code or internal uh, program development. You're seeing maybe a little bit of repeat of that through this VC moment, but it's it's not the same because what you're what you're having is a rapid cycle of uh, uh, failing fast, and the way that the hospitals see this is what failing fast means is you throw money at something, see if it catches fire, and then you can generate some money off of that. And so at that point, what are you really, again, that's why it's a VC, a venture capital. It's not, you're, I don't even, I, I, I don't see uh, a move where you're really tracking what are the outcomes I see much more of growth in the market, 
whether you know trying to make a uh, uh, trying to make an impact but I don't I don't see a focus on outcomes you know and, and really what we get down to when we get back to this article we say you know that there's a quote here that says EHRs promise to put all of a patient's record in one place but often that's the problem critical or time-sensitive information routinely gets buried in an endless scroll of data where in the rush of medical decision-making and amid the maze of pull-down menus, it can be missed. This is probably one of the uh, great examples where you have you don't even have a straw man. This isn't even a straw man argument. This is basically a ignorance of where we were. Yeah, there's a lot in a patient's record. We keep track of a lot of stuff. EHRs usually keep track of record, keep track of specific data points in really bad ways. But that's because we don't fully acknowledge and understand and talk about what is the role of an EHR within an organization. It's data capture. There it also tries to do data representation or data presentation. It tries to do a lot of things. It tries to do too many things, in my opinion. But it, it, what it does first and foremost is data capture because it is the medical legal record. It has to capture all data used to make a clinical decision. So yeah, when you're trying to look for any kind of piece, single piece of information, it's a lot. You know what? In 1995, if you looked at the same patient going through the same procedures and in the hospital for the same amount of time and you had a paper chart, you weren't going to find that piece of information then either. This article doesn't say that. Hospitals didn't talk about that. You know why? Because there wasn't somebody else with a billion dollar revenue stream taking money in from hospitals that they could try to lay some of the blame on. Because when you had a paper record, it was all on the hospital. It was all on the doctor. So it was a lot of hush-hush, tuck-and-run, mistakes, things are happening, people get old, you know, you need to move on, stop trying to find somebody to blame, everybody dies kind of action. Now what you got is, oh, you want to try to make this our problem? Well, really, let's look at all this together and group all this data together and come up where we can see that there's these trends happening and there's, you know, it's hard to do all this. Well, how can you even track that? Oh, that's right, because it's on a computer system, which you couldn't even do before. The next quote, there was a private healthcare analytics firm that's logged 18,000 EHR-related safety events from 2007 to 2008, 3% which resulted in patient harm, including seven deaths, a figure that this director says is drastically unimportant. No shit! There's lots of things are unreported. Adverse drug events are some of the most underreported things in hospitals that happen in healthcare today. And the only way that you ever got to find out about an adverse drug event is once you, once hospitals started developing the five rights of drug administration, which you can go look up and shout out to a company all the way back into the 1990s, Bridge Medical. Well, I've worked with a lot of people at other company and at another company that came up with Bridge Medical. They were really way ahead of their time with five rights of drug, of drug, of med administration. Yeah, 
But let's talk about this. We went from 2007 to 2018, 11 years. How many visits was that? How many episodes of care? And you had seven deaths. I mean, that's bad. We don't want to have any. But to statistically, we know that that's not possible. You can't do anything. You can't go to work. We've had probably had more than seven deaths on a golf course between 2007 and 2018. You know, we just not we not we we throw common sense out the window when we start talking about this stuff. So it's just one of these things that we just can't we lose our perspective on this kind of thing. You know, we talk about patients discover mistakes in their medical records. Well, heck yeah, because you got somebody collecting data that can mistype something, that can uh, not hear it correctly, that can put it in on a wrong patient. I mean, there's a lot of issues. Now, this is, again, I think a really small number, but from 2014 to 2018, there's 170 voluntary reports of patient harm related to alarm management and alert fatigue, which is interesting. They didn't really go into how those things get captured, but that resulted in 101 patient deaths. And what we don't understand and what you can never know is that of those 101, when you have alarm management or alert fatigue, how critical was that patient to begin with? I mean, you know, if you're talking about you had that incident that caused a death, was if that didn't happen, was the patient going to live another day, another month, another only another hour? You don't know. I mean, so again, four years, 101 patient deaths. There's a lot of things going on inside the health, beside the hospital that's causing a lot more, and uh, in, in, in just for instance, I think between 2014 and 2018, probably had more than 101 patient deaths from falls. Something simple like that. You know, it's a huge effort in a hospital for them to recognize who's at fall risk, and so that's a big priority. So again, it's not like healthcare organizations are ignoring patient fall deaths, but again, you got to talk about how much effort is it going to take to get you marginal improvement. And if we're going to just talk about general medical errors, you're talking about all EHRs and alert fatigue. Is it a problem? Yes. Again, is alerting probably something that, should, that shouldn't happen inside of EHR? I think it's d debatable. I think there's probably some role for them to play, but for them to be the only system, they're probably not the best system to give all alerts. Although I'm biased, the company that I work for today certainly creates alerting for providers, and so it contributes to that um, to, to that mosaic of uh, pay attention to me, pro healthcare provider. So again, you're talking about how the, the concept of what are we trying to get EHRs to do? Is it appropriate? And then how is it impacting the workflows of physicians? And what we've done, especially since the adoption of, EHR, of EHRs, is we've totally discounted the advancements that we have and the benefits over and above a paper record. And it's just something that we don't we don't juxtapose what's what what we have now 
And it's totally appropriate to say we have problems now and they're different than when we had paper EHR. And but then to turn around and try to quantify the improvements that we've made. You know, and here's here's an excellent example here. There's um, they're talking about physician burnout. It says 44 percent of the roughly six hours a physician spends on the EHR each day is focused on clerical and administrative tasks like billing and coding according to a 2017 Annals of Family Medicine study. Okay. <laughs> Why are they in the EHR doing that? Is it the EHR that's creating the coding system or the billing system that has to have a code attached to everything they're doing? Nope. You can have very simplistic EHRs that send out very little billing data. If you don't care about producing a bill, if you don't care about getting paid for the bill that you produce, then you're cutting out a lot of time. That's not uh, what the EHR is supposed to do. Again, the EHR is the legal medical record. And so what you get down to is because of the billing system that exists today, in the structure in which it is create has been created, then physicians are required to do a lot of this. Now, what would happen in a paper record? Well, you'd have a lot of shortcuts there. They can circle some things. They can choose to leave, leave a lot of things incomplete and then have coders chase them down or guess, which is probably what happened most of the time, is you had a lot of, in the paper record times, you just have people entering in things if it was incomplete. Well, I know this doctor does a lot of this, so this is probably what happened, even though this is an incomplete uh, billing form. So what EHRs are actually doing is having a lot of process uh, and enforcement that you don't have necessarily with a paper record. So what that ends up looking like is, oh, these EHRs are so hard to deal with. Well, no, really what you have is a crappy system and instead of having all this time of fighting somebody that's making you do things the right way, why don't you, oh, I don't know, change how billing works? But that's that, that goes down the line of, again, there's no billion-dollar industry for you to uh, try to uh, write articles about, knock down, sue real, in reality, um, there's no, you can't have a class action lawsuit against, you know, ICD-10 codes. Here, here's the quote about the iPhone. Uh, a Rhode Island ER doctor says, I have an iPhone and a computer and they work the way they're supposed to work, whatever that means. And then we're given these incredibly cumbersome and error-prone tools. This is something the government mandated, okay? There really wasn't the time to let the cream rise to the top and everyone had to jump in and pick something that worked and spend tens of millions of dollars on a system that is slowly killing us. That is a out-and-out out lie. There really wasn't time to let the cream rise to the top. Okay, again, the code that Epic operates on is from the late 60s, early 70s. Epic has been around since at least the 70s. Cerner's been around since the late 70s, early 80s. What exactly do you need 
you know, what's the maturation time? I mean, you know, this is an EHR. This is not a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue. You know, this is not a single malt whiskey that we're having to age to perfection in an oaken barrel before it's ready for use. No, what you have are bad healthcare facility buyers. They came in there with a set of priorities that didn't match what that Rhode Island ER doctor's priorities were, and they made a bad choice. Flat out. There are lots of other EHRs. There were more EHRs when Meaningful Use came around, and guess what? You didn't pick one. You didn't pick a good one. Was there better out there for EHR, for, for EDs? Yep. There are systems built just for the ED. They'd have to interface into uh, the, the legal record EHR, but that was definitely possible. You didn't have to go with Epic, which I'm, I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts. That's what this person uses. So it's not, let, let, let's not just say, oh, we, there was this rush to, to pick something. We had no idea what we were doing. We were just babes in the woods being led down the path, this path by this federal government that just made us pick something and we had no idea what we were doing. Oh, poor woe is me. No. That, that, that's not, that doesn't work. That, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. These systems were around for a super long time. You knew how they worked. You knew hospitals that were already using it. You knew what you were going to get when you signed up for it. What happened is, is you got a pot full of money and you believed a belly full of lies that, oh, this is going to be fine, we're going to fix this. And you know that's not how it works. Once you spend your money, that's it. When you buy a traditional, sign a traditional software program uh, uh, contract that has two-thirds of the value of the contract wrapped up in implementation services, licensing cost, and whatever other uh, st- statement of work that you have to sign to get your customized configuration done, and they get 66% of the money of that seven-plus-figure contract up front, you lost. They don't have any. They don't have any desire to, to fix that for you. Guess what? That's not the bad EHR company either. That's called business. That's how that works. And every other software company in the world does the exact same thing because that sales guy that was so interested in you that called you and asked you about your kids once a week and was so concerned about how your mama's or your aunt's surgery was going, you know, once you sign that contract, he doesn't know who you are anymore. He's moving on. He's trying to get some more pelts on his wall because he is a caveman and he eats what he kills. And when you are out there complaining about your 33% left on, you, you might not worry about, that's not, he's already got that on his quota system. He's not worried about that. He, it's gone. It's over. You're done. You know, yes, the federal government messed up. They didn't have, they didn't come up with a good idea. ONC was a bunch of ivory tower, theoretical, college professor, sport coat, wearing with a leather patch on their elbow, smoking a pint in a room, talking about wouldn't it be wonderful kind of stuff. And guess what? It didn't work out. Guy that joined ONC as the deputy director in 2009 and was the leader in 2011. 
I'm not going to try his name. As far as odd, I'm not going to try it. The, he says, the ideal creating a useful, interoperable, nationwide record system was utterly infeasible to get in a short period of time. It's, no, it's not utter, utterly infeasible to get in a short period of time. It's utterly infeasible. And it's not because EHRs don't want to do it. You can pay them enough money, they'll do it. Health care providers don't want to do it because especially in 2009 and in 2011, there was a concept of monetizing that data that you had that person trapped. That's what you had all this consolidation going on for. You wanted to grab enough geographic area that you could have every event that goes on for that particular patient from their health record, and so you would have it. So that was a repository. That was a goldmine. And now you got blockchain folks out here perpetuating the same lie, telling them that you can that patients can monetize their own record. It's like people two generations ago when TVs first came out, they put gold in the TVs because it was a good conductor of electricity. And so people came up with books that says you can make money by getting gold out of a TV. Well, guess what? In 1955, you probably had $2 worth of gold in a $400 TV. So how's that going to work out for you? It's just like now. One person's medical record in a ho- to a hospital that has literally millions of individual medical records. What do you think your individual medical record is worth to be monetized in a blockchain system? In a, block- in a blockchain system? Uh, ecosystem about two cents and how much is it going to cost for that system that record to be maintained and curated and added to every year Uh, like probably two dollars so it's it is negative or it's one one hundredth one percent of the value of the individual record compared to the maintenance so You can go on and and throw that monetization of your own health data. Yes, you own it from a theoretical, technical sense. You own your data. But you don't own much because it's not worth much. And so now the article goes into beating up on NextGen that I worked for for a while. Um, I was there at the, the meeting that they're talking about. Uh, when uh, they, they at the uh, at the meeting the user group meeting when they say people were lining up at the microphones to yell at us, telling them that they weren't delivering stable software, the executive team was inaccessible, the service experience was terrible. That was all correct, <laughs> and NextGen is still paying for it. And, but NextGen isn't that much different. I mean, Greenway is the same. Um, Athena Health is going through their own issues. I mean, it's just there. There is no, there is no perfect, there is no perfect option out there. And again, all of the issues that these people don't like, all these issues that people have, aren't possible to be hidden. It's not possible to be. Uh, you, you, these salespeople aren't, aren't hiding all all the issues the people that are buying these systems aren't asking good questions and then you have this whole consultant class 
that these healthcare providers pay for to help them pick a system, which, if again, this is a sports reference, it's like an athletic director at a college hiring a search firm to pick a coach. You're not, you don't really care about the expertise of the search firm. It would be nice if they help you pick a good coach. It would be nice if this consultant helps you pick a good EHR. But why is that CIO hiring that consultant to help them pick an EHR? It's for cover his ass. That's all it is. It's CYA. He wants to or she wants to turn around when this EHR falls flat on its face about six months into the project and turn around and say, oh, I was duped by this consultant. And this consultant and this EHR sales process, oh, Lordy mercy, what was I supposed to do? I'm just one man, one woman against this ocean of deceit and incredulous people hiding all these problems from me. There was no way for me to foresee all these problems except all these systems that they're buying are being used every day by facilities. And if you do a due diligence, if you call if you call users that are not on the reference list, it's not it's not impossible. It's not impossible to find out. So, it's it, it's hard for me to understand what we're trying to do by beating up on these on these computer on these EHR companies. I mean, the 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 market has run into the loving embrace of a very select few companies. And now that they got your money and the market has consolidated and there's been a lot of washout, you don't have a lot of options. And a lot of your options all look the same because not only did you as a market make a choice on a narrow band of what was what was available to you they all kind of look the same healthcare providers have outsourced their IT looking at that as an administrative uh, cost that wasn't getting you any value you've thrown your data into a cloud which i don't think is a bad idea but i mean that's what you've done and there is little to no understanding of how the choices you have made today are going to impact where you want to go tomorrow. Because what people don't understand from a healthcare buyer or healthcare delivery standpoint is if the government is true, and just like I said a few minutes ago, if the billing system changes because you're having to spend so much time just to get reimbursed and get your money back from you, then we're going to have to have some fundamental changes in how we bill. Then how are you positioned to transform and make that next step into this new process? So that's really kind of what who's left within your organization to help you make that progression. Because they may be really whiz-bang at building relationships, being a biz development person, being this VC to understand, you know, intellectual property and value and all this kind of stuff. But how are you going, does that person going to be able to evaluate where you are today within your healthcare 
ecosystem or healthcare IT ecosystem, how you're operating today and where you're going to get to. Just for instance, if when you go to a value-based care model, is your is your healthcare organization structure going to be, oh, all the primary care physicians, all the specialists that we're ever going to need, uh, we're just going to buy. We're going to buy all those practices and we're going to be a... Um, we're gonna we're gonna all emulate Kaiser, and it's all gonna be within our network, and that's just how we're gonna operate. And how practical is that? What kind of money does that take? You know, what are you gonna do when one specialty that you really need—nephrologist, orthopod, neurologist, whomever—just falls down in the floor and demands to have their one-off EHR that they like that's built for their specialty? What you gonna do then? especially when you have no healthcare IT professionals within your organization to even manage. You can hire a contractor. I know healthcare facilities today that operate as any project work that's non-standard day-to-day maintenance of their stuff is all contracted out. One, it's questionably expensive versus having somebody on payroll all the time. But two, how do you evaluate anything new? How do you know whether something, whether you need to go to some other new technology? You don't know. You, you're, you're, you're left with smaller and smaller echo chambers. And ultimately, for a non-technical CMIO, CIO, what you have to communicate and what you have, if you're at a C-suite within a healthcare organization, how do you get to what the real issues are in an honest conversation? Because these people that on it that eventually end up putting their name on the line on these multi-million-dollar contracts because you're outsourcing your IT to the Epics and the Cerners of the world. How are you going to get them to ever say that we made a mistake, we made a bad choice? Because you're going to end up firing their ass. Their CIOs stepping down all over the place whenever they hire, whenever they buy Epic or Cerner, and it's such a complete upheaval in their workflows or their billing practices that they can't get bills out the door. You can't. You doesn't. You can Google. Delay, billing delay, and new EHR or EHR replacement and find stories for days. Millions and millions of dollars is lost. People are laid off. Healthcare is impacted because these decisions are made and they don't go well. So what what are you supposed to do about this? I mean what what you know how is you how is an organization structured to handle that? I mean, these are questions that have to be asked. So we'll kind of leave it here. You know, one of the, I think one of the last pulls out of this article is you've got CMS really stepping in, ONC really stepping in. You've got the data blocking rule that's coming down. I, I attended a webinar for that. That's really interesting. I'm going to follow that and try to do a reasonably articulated uh, podcast about that coming up soon. And then you've got other things coming out for meaningful use. You had they had to post their charge master, which was implemented 
in an utterly stupid and meaningless way, big surprise. And then you have uh, CMS really cracking down on the cost of release of information. Again, if it's from what I've heard, if it's electronic, it should be a zero cost, which is like a fall out of the bed, easy decision to make. How can anybody charge you to produce an electronic copy of a medical record? It's just beyond, beyond stupid to me. But anyway, hope you guys had a good time listening to this. Hopefully it was interesting. Hopefully you heard something new. I'm sure that you heard an opinion maybe that you, well, I don't know whether you've heard an opinion that you've never heard. But at least it was a reinforcement of maybe an opinion that you have. Let me know. Uh, I'm enjoying getting back into this. And hopefully I'll talk to you guys again soon. Uh, Have a good day. My time is up. And of course, I thank you for yours.